Welcome to Great Minds and our guest today, are you, you're home now, you're in Amsterdam, yes? Yeah, I'm back home. Back home. Great. Our guest today is the founder of Media Monks. He is uh, absolutely, you know, one of my favorite guys that we've had on stage anywhere and Wesley's been with us all over the world. Our guest today, Wesley Terhar. Welcome, Wesley. Thanks, Matt. So, Wesley, there are certain places in the world, certain countries, certain cities in particular, that really shine in creative industry. And one of those is Amsterdam. What is it about your beloved home that really has produced such incredible work and incredible people all over the world working in creative industry? Yeah. It's, I think some of it is, uh, is historical. Uh, I think some of it is down to, down to what it has become. I, I think it's such a small uh, country <laughs> that has always been uh, built on international deal-making, that it's always been a, a place that looks outward quite actively and tries to sort of mingle and intermingle with what happens elsewhere. So I think that cultural openness tends to be important for good creative work, good design work, just things that resonate, understanding craft. Um, I, I think some other European countries, I won't, I won't name names, they're a bit more insular and it's, it's local work for local people. And I think the Netherlands in general has, has been more interested in uh, what happens elsewhere and can we do things that resonate elsewhere, uh, which historically, has been reflected in um, uh, the Dutch having like a very high percentage of people that speak English well. And like, it's always that type of international vibe. Some of that is ego. I think just this idea of being, even though it's a tiny little country <laughs> and Amsterdam is a tiny little city, just this, this feeling of international influence, I think it sort of becomes a bit of an ego chamber that sort of reinforces itself. So I think that that's part of it. I think there's a historic, like I'm back now for a full year. It's a beautiful city and I'd sort of forgotten it. So I, there is something just quite um, beautiful about the place, which I think leans into feeling for aesthetics and craft. And then more recently, it's just been a, a place, I think, and I know this because of advertising, I think Heineken did a, a campaign years ago that counted the, the different cultures in a single city. Uh, and I think Amsterdam was number one and number two globally, which is mind-blowing if you think about the small scale of it. It's only it's less than a million people. And we ended up having uh, the biggest list of countries um, represented by a community um, together with New York, I think. So that sort of melting pot vibe just creates so much interaction and intent in the work that, yeah, it's it's interesting to see how that has evolved and I think it, it's a bit of um it's sort of the the Harvard of advertising anywhere you go in the world you will meet people who've worked in Amsterdam uh, so it's it's a bit of an alumni feeling now no it, it really is and some great global shops out of there some extraordinarily talented people we had a, a conversation recently with Sir Martin and uh Chris McDonald from McCann and Nicola Mendelssohn from Facebook. And we were talking about the great British recovery and London and the UK in general, between Brexit and COVID 
they've really had a hell of a time the last three, four years. And historically, they're the big capital within EMEA. But you're starting to see other cities led by Amsterdam being very aggressive in trying to attract businesses and events. And I've got to say, we've had some really interesting conversations about bringing Advertising Week to Amsterdam. And the city is really well organized, very progressive, very aggressive, but in a good way. And I, I think, you know, we may end up doing something there at some point. Yeah, it's, it's Amsterdam, I, to your point, London, not just in advertising, in finance, in so many things, has been the de facto capital of Europe, really. Um, and they, <laughs> they did sort of shoot themselves in the foot um, <laughs> in a very public manner. And uh, so Martin talks a lot about the, the sort of the Singapore of Europe feeling this, this sort of um, low regulation, low tax model that UK will probably go after now, which could sort of pull that back. But if you look at the other major, I guess, uh, places to congregate, Paris, which is an amazing city, but is less uh, internationally open. Um, Madrid, Barcelona, amazing cities, but also a bit less internationally inclined. And then in Berlin, which is really amazing, but not necessarily an economic center. Um, so Amsterdam sort of stands quite interestingly positioned. It's easy to get to well-organized, we're, we're low tax. Um, so we have seen a big influx of talent, of companies, of startup money, of tech money, go into the city in a very short short time. and it. it and there, there are upsides and downsides to that. It is impacting the city, right? Uh, in, in bad ways, rents are going up, uh, more difficult for the, the local population deliver. We're having a little bit of our San Francisco moment from that perspective. But of course, it creates massive opportunities for everyone as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm quite bullish on, uh, on Amsterdam for the next decade. I, when Brexit happened, I recommended some international friends. I said, if you're going to buy real estate anywhere, I would do it in Amsterdam. Yeah, no, I, I think I think smart. that's I think that's a good bet. So, Leslie, there there are a couple people who I can think of in our industry who were ahead of the game and first. I think of Bob Greenberg. Bob was in digital before any of us really knew what digital was. Um, my dear friend Matt Freeman, who's now at Bain Capital, Matt founded Tribal DDB way back when. And I think in many respects, you know, he was one who saw what was coming. The third person that I can think of is you, that you saw something. Now it's literally been 20 years since you founded Media Monks. But what I thought was particularly interesting is you didn't have much on your resume before you founded that. I love your description where you were uh, getting pens and paper clips for important people at some of your earliest jobs at Vodafone and working as a project manager. Um, but you were a very young guy when you founded Media Monks, literally 20 years ago. Take us back to that period before you founded it and what was swimming around in that fertile brain of yours at that time that led you to begin this incredible journey that you're still on with Media Monks? 
well, and thank, thank you for putting me on that list. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, okay, very young. No, I, I think a lot of it was um, uh, sort of arrogance of youth. Um, I think at that time, so I was I was studying um, communications, which really in the Netherlands that's sort of a holdall. If you don't know what you want to do, you either study law or you study communications, and that's sort of a catch-all that just gets a lot of people that are like, I don't know what I want to do. So I, I, I did that for about a year and a half, but as that sort of, um, sort of progressed, was also during the time that the internet, as we used to call it quaintly, um, became a consumer level, um, consumer level thing in the Netherlands. So I, I can just remember following lessons that felt very old fashioned compared to what was happening in the real world in real time on, on dial-ups that it was weird and wacky and slow and clunky, but you could feel that you were almost following, you were almost being taught uh, for uh, uh, to be obsolete because none of the things that I was seeing happening were reflected in, uh, in what I was uh, being asked to study. And um, I actually pitched my school if I could uh, start a company for my internship. I was like, hey, <laughs> this thing is happening. I'm super excited by it. Am, am I allowed, instead of working somewhere for an official internship, am I allowed to start my own internet company? And they said no, um, which I, I'm very thankful for looking back at it. And that became a whole thing, which I sort of semi-dropped out. And all of the people know this, but the Dutch uh, educational system pays you to go to school. Like you can get paid let me rephrase that. You can get subsidized as you go to school. So the I had, I was at school, but no longer going. And that first two to three years of getting sort of educational support pretty much funded me trying to spin up this company that I did with, uh, with a few friends. And it really was based on the initial excitement of the new thing, seeing how even in that very early clunky version, it was opening up just different types of experiences, connections with other people. Instead of going to class, you would go to weird chat rooms and talk about just random stuff. It was just a really exciting time. And um, based on that, I taught myself how to code really badly, but there was just so much hype around, hey, this is new, you can make things. Because I was never a creative, but with code, you could still make things, which was really, was really nice to sort of be able to be creative without being able to sort of do traditional creativity. Um, and it just, it just sped up from there. There wasn't a grand plan. Um, sometimes people expect that we had sort of this lightning rod moment of insight. It was really just the excitement of this happening and wanting to be a part of that and not finding a space for it in uh, what was the educational system at the time, because it was so new. That was really how it, how it all started. And so the internet at that time, this is probably the late 90s we're talking about, you know, it was a very different internet than what it is today. You know, I remember the very first computer that you'll like the story. So there used to be a great music store in New York down on Lower Broadway by City Hall called J&R Music World. J&R was actually two people as a married couple, Joe and Rose. 
And over time they expanded and they sold electronics and they almost had the whole block. It's called, the street is called Park Row. And it was all J&R, that entire block. And as a kid, I always wanted to work in the music business. And even after I had my first real job working for uh, a great mayor, Ed Koch in the city of New York for something called the Commission on the Year 2000, on Saturdays, this was about 1986, 87, on Saturdays, I would work at J&R Music World on the floor in the record department. And I figured how else can you better learn music than working in a record store? That was my theory at the time. I'm, I'm not that bright now. I certainly wasn't very bright then. And I wanted a computer and the city wouldn't buy me one. I used, I used to use, remember those old IBM typewriters, you know, oh. with, the, with the correcto key. So uh, I bought a computer, it was an Amstrad, PCW. I am certain that Amstrad is no longer in business, but there were no graphics. It was just words. I think the font may have been that funny green color way back when. How did you see from, you know, something that was really text, largely text only um, in that funny green font? Um, how did you see then that there was something much bigger to come? I do think the the aha moment for us, um, and it has such a bad rap now, but Flash, which was then Macromedia Flash, which was really the technology that that brought uh, multimedia to online, um, animation, more flexible design systems, less sort of restraints of what a browser could do at that time, because it was like this separate contained plugin. And we talk about it now and everybody hates the thing, but that opened up a whole medium to creative people. And still to this day, a lot of people that were part of that first wave of, of creativity online, sort of using this, this flash tool used to be uh, future splash. I think it was future splash, then flash as part of Macromedia and then Adobe. Um, a lot of those people in that first wave ended up, uh, still doing amazing work today. I, I, I saw PlayStation, Joshua Davis, I saw mentioned somewhere yesterday, who's this amazing generative art um, um, artist. Um, I saw um, G Monk, who's now doing high end special effects for Hollywood movies. But all of those people put their creativity into this really weird little niche channel that was so small. But that for us was the thing. I saw some of the work that was happening and I, I literally was like, I want to be able to do that. And we, we started teaching ourselves how to do that. Um, but that was, that was really what was so unique about that early phase. I don't think a lot of people know this, but MediaMonks, our subline was MediaMonks Interactive Arts. So when we started MediaMonks, it's really a bunch of uh, young people making cool stuff for the internet. And because there were so few people doing that, you sort of started getting commercial, like we're getting an email. I can remember getting an email from Nintendo. I was like, it's crazy. Why is Nintendo emailing us? Because there was there was almost nobody that was doing stuff. So you would you would get these opportunities to do super archy, weird things for major brands because nobody really cared about the internet from a marketing perspective. Um, and that really was our, our stomping ground, just doing these really artsy, crafty, uh, out there pieces of work um, and then sharing it with community. It was such an amazing community, global but small, of people sort of figuring out this thing 
uh, it was honestly um, a, an amazing, if I look at sort of the first four or five years where we, we made all the mistakes you can make, but learned all of the things, it was just really um, exciting and enticing to be a part of that, that group. So now it's 2021 and, you know, you're one of the genuine King Kongs of the industry. And I mean that only in a good way. Uh, and yet the beginning was quite humble. Take us back to the very beginning and give us that origin story, if you will, the prequel, let's have the, let's call this the prequel. Uh, and take us back to that very first day, your very first office, the people that you were with, take us back to that day. So we were, uh, we had, I dropped out of school, my, uh, Best friend at the time had, was already working, but we were both, I think, 20-ish. Uh, he was more design-focused. I taught myself how to code. And we started working for friends and family, as you do, because everybody wanted a website. And then we got headhunted by a startup, and it was horrible. And we did that for about a year, year and a half. Um, we have our own story of almost becoming, which would have been <laughs> the, worst, the worst thing to happen, but dot-com millionaires in 2000 because we were part of that company and we had we had a percentage weirdly enough as 20 year old and then um that sort of fell through and uh we we looked at it and we 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 just thought it was badly managed which again is arrogance of you if you're 20 years old and we went we can do better let's start a company which became media monks and we we started it in a basement of a hotel uh because that was our only client we, we, we did the hotel website and they had a, uh, a club in the basement and behind the club, there were sort of hidden offices that weren't even officially allowed to be rented out. And that was our office. So literally we would sit in the basement for 18 hours a day uh, and just work, work, work. But it, it wasn't really work. It was just figuring out stuff. Uh, it was... Looking back at it, it was more of a, an excuse not to have to work, not to go get an actual job. Um, and it was very formative, very fun. Um, and then in the weekend, you would be working late on a Saturday. You would go, okay, let's go get a beer. You would walk into the, the club for like two hours, grab a beer, and then take a Red Bull back to the office and keep working. Like that was the, it was very much that sort of vibe. Um, but within our first six months, maybe nine, we launched the first version of MediaMonks.com. And I think it's, it's so difficult to imagine how small the internet was. That became like a thing. Like it was, it was a cool thing. So we started getting international work in the first year, which was, we had Nintendo, we had Heineken, we had the Red Bull Formula One team. And they were literally giving work to three people in the basement that had no idea what they were doing. We didn't have a phone. Um, we didn't have any understanding of what it was to try and run a company. Um, it was fun just trying to figure that out and thinking about what that ended up becoming. Um, and it really took us, I think, a year or four or five for it to go from something that felt more like a hobby to something that felt like an actual business. Because after, I think after the first three or four years, we started hiring people and that changes everything. Because suddenly it goes from, this is a thing I do. And if it works or doesn't work, who cares? I can always go do something else too. 
oh, somebody just decided that we're paying <laughs> their salary and they have a family and they're buying a house. And it was just this instant, this instant understanding that that was a very different thing. Um, so it was, it was sort of a moment about four years in, three years in when we started um, seeing the first people join that it, it really changed how we think about it. Um, and then we moved from a basement to, we did the whole thing. We had a basement, then we had an attic above a car garage. And then after five years, we actually moved into a real office. Um, and we, we used to call that sort of, we used to egg ourselves on a bit. We, we took too big of an office and too expensive of an office because we almost wanted to put ourselves on the hook, go, okay, let's, it was always this idea that if you do something, can you, can you do the most exciting version of it? Um, which I, I think that really was something that, that resonated in lots of decision moments. It was always, what would be the most interesting or exciting version of, of what we can do here? So almost trying to build the narrative forward, looking back on what, what would we actually be proud of having done at this moment. So we took a really shiny office, this really visual part of the little town we were in, which was Hilversum. Um, and that, that, was, that was such a moment because we, we stayed in that office for uh, well, it 14 years, there or thereabouts. And um, it was, we, we started with one corner of this massive building and we, we jokingly, we had a block back then, we jokingly said we won't stop until we have the whole building. And we ended up having almost the whole building before we moved to the next uh, space. Um, so yeah, the, the origin story is very much the coding in the basement with Red Bulls, uh, which I think a lot of that generation ended up, uh, ended up being about. Fantastic. What a great story. So one of the things that I admire about you is that your brain works on sort of both key pillars when you sort of boil it all down. You're brilliantly creative, but you're also a pretty damn good business person. And the skill sets are very different. There are very few people who have that creative brain who also understand the business side, how to manage, how to build, how to grow. Um, where do you think those roots come from? Did it come from your parents? Was it all self-taught? Where does your strength in both of those areas come from? Yeah, and honestly, I so I think creativity, creativity to, to, to an extent, I always think about it as it's synthesizing information and then trying to bring things together with a unique end result. So a lot of it is about, we know three, four five things. If you combine those things, can you get to something that is, is uh, a, a surprising amalgamation of the things that you synthesized? And I think the main, I would say probably the main, uh, I would, um, I think it's, it's partly growing up semi-multilingual, I think. So my mother is English. And while I didn't grow up really speaking English, I think it, I got a lot of it growing up with sort of international family. But then uh, I started getting into reading relatively 
early because I became a bit of an Anglophile, like just proud of that part of my heritage. And which is, it just meant reading constantly and constantly and constantly. And I think reading a lot in another language, um, just being really focused on words and language is where a lot of that came from. Um, so that to me, if I look back on it, because I, I wasn't uh, sort of traditionally creative, I just think it was a love, a love or a real sort of interest and passion for language is really uh, what I would, would say helped me do well when it came to the creativity that our industry sort of needs. From a business perspective, I, I think it's honestly, it's similar. You try and look at a landscape and you go, okay, it, it really is about thinking about creative ideas. If we do the same thing as everybody else, it won't stand out. So you have to you have to look at where the open space sits and then try and build an interesting story against that open space. So to me, it is the same. It's almost a, it's almost a framework. I think it's the same framework. I think sometimes creative people underappreciate how how they can use that skill in a business sense, because I agree, you, you, you see too few creative founders, I guess. But I do think it's business is creativity. It's finding space and, and filling that space with interesting, exciting ideas and narratives. Um, so I, I, I think because not looking at creativity really traditionally, but having at least that ability to synthesize and then, and then position has, has worked in both the actual work and, and how we built out the, um, the business. Yeah, I love the story about um, taking a space that was too shiny, too bright, and too big, and, and being determined to grow into it. And I think we do very well when we challenge ourselves like that. Um, you know, when we first went to London in 2013, our first advertising week outside New York, you know, we had no business whatsoever being that aggressive and trying something like that and putting our first opening gala at St. Paul's Cathedral and, you know, the things that we did. Um, but I think when you reach for things, um, you have an opportunity. You don't always get there, but you've at least given yourself the opportunity to reach and grab hold and actually pull yourself up and, and accomplish that vision. So I give you all the credit in the world for seeing that as a very young guy. I certainly have a similar attribute, but it developed much, much later. Yeah, and I, I think it's at that time, again, it, it was sort of the, a bit of arrogance of youth, but I do think to your point, St. Paul's, that's a, very, that's a very shiny location to do your first thing. <laughs> yeah. It's an amazing place. But I do think um, you, you sort of, well, sort of, you create, you create everything. We, we talk about this sometimes, like everything to an extent is made up, right? You, you think of something, you make it up and then you make it real. And I think sometimes we, we, we don't give ourselves the freedom to, to really make something up, right? We sort of follow something that we already know or see instead of just making something up and then going to try and make it real. And that to me is, I think, I think that ended up being an interesting beat throughout the, the growth of Media Monks. When we went to London, we had, we had, <laughs> so I'll tell you the story of how we ended up going to London. So we, at that time, had been in business in, in Amsterdam, Hilversum, the Netherlands, for about eight years. Like we, we were a well-regarded 
local digital agency that was growing and, and successful, all of those things. Um, and we, we, had, we had not really looked at going out for international business. We'd received some because of the work, but nothing really active. And then we were working with a tech client here in Amsterdam, I think it was Microsoft. And they said, uh, you should go to, and meet my colleagues in London. And that felt like a, a, that felt sort of crazy. Like all the way to London for a meeting was literally the conversation we had. And because of that, the Dutch are known for being uh, penny pinchers, Matt. Um, we, we were like, we're not going to go to London for one meeting. And this is where the, the, the luck of being in Amsterdam comes from. So we looked on LinkedIn and we knew a bunch of people in London. So many people had worked in Amsterdam. So we ended up setting up a bunch of meetings. We booked the very cheapest hotel we could find. We were like, we, we, this isn't a, uh, a fun trip. This is a work trip, but we weren't going to have any fun until we actually deserve to be there. And we met with, I think, eight, I think we had eight meetings in two days. And the Brits are very polite and very nice. Or let's say they're very polite. And we saw that as, as being very nice. So after those eight meetings, we were convinced that London was waiting for us to be there. And we opened an office, I think, two weeks later, uh, just completely convinced that we were, uh, we were clearly destined for great things. Uh, and then the actual work needed to happen, right? The, everybody that was really nice to us in those meetings didn't necessarily give us work. Um, but yeah, it was, it was um, we went into London with very little thought uh, and just a beautiful city, let's go do it. And uh, we started with a cool office and all of that type of stuff. So yeah, I think you, you have to make, you make it up and then you have to go make it real, but you have to make it up first. And we're going to go back to this period in a second, but just to give scale and scope, eight years in Amsterdam, opened a small office in London, initial ramp up, not exactly breaking the speed record, it sounds like. Where are we today? Media Monks is in how many countries, roughly how many offices, roughly how many people? Yeah, so if you look at it uh, from the S4 perspective, where we, we started that with Sir Martin mid-2018, um, we're now at, I think we just passed 5,000 people, 31 countries. Um, and I, I, I uh, talked to quite a lot of um, sort of founders, entrepreneurs, uh, and I tell them like our, for us, it happened in the second decade, like the first 10 years, it was, it was, it was good. It was decent. But the, the second decade was really where we, it became international and became this massive sort of growth machine um, and just really sort of visible part of the industry. But it, it second decade, like it, it took us a while. And th there, I sometimes talk to young, young um founders and they're like 24 and they they're doing amazingly well uh, like you're way ahead of where i was like you shouldn't ask me for advice because you're you're doing it in um in double time compared to how we did it right well it's been a hell of a second 10 years so one of the other things beyond just seeing the the opportunity that the internet would create one of the other things that you were very early to was an integrated approach. Yep. And as the tools have become more sophisticated, the landscape more rich in terms of what we can do and deliver through the pipes of the internet, 
it's only gotten more integrated. But talk about that early philosophy of an integrated approach in the marriage of creativity and technology and how that's evolved over 20 years, which has been an incredible technologically driven, but ultimately creatively inspired journey. I, I think there was a, I think the, the creativity for me from a, a sort of additional native perspective went through a few phases. I think the first phase was really just the joy of figuring out what this new channel was and sort of the tactile nature of it. Um, and I was really just understanding the tools and what, what you could try and do with them. And we, there is, there's amazing work from that time that I think is almost sort of iconic. There's a downside to the work we tend to do in digital because it's very, sort of goes away. Uh, it only is online for a few years here and there. So there's a lot of work lost to the, to the ages that um, was just amazing to sort of interact with that at that time because you would literally have moments where you would go, ah, okay, I get that this is possible. Like I can remember interacting with work from companies like North Kingdom or Too Advanced and literally going, oh, wait a minute, that's the language. Like that's the thing we can do. So there was just a lot of figuring that out in the first wave. And then the second way, which to me was some of my favorite work happened then was when it, it wasn't just the web, but it was web meets platform meets APIs meets data. When those things came together, you started going from idea only to what is a, a mechanic or a piece of data or something that's possible at technology level that makes the idea unique to the context of where you're actually interacting with, with the idea. And that to me was one of the most exciting things because I think it also opened up opportunities for companies like ours because you would have traditional agencies couldn't get into the real, or at least not at scale, into the real details of what was and wasn't possible. And we found gold in that sort of gray area of what was possible and what wasn't. Um, and that to me was some of the most exciting stuff. It, it doesn't really happen at scale that much anymore because it was very much based on Facebook having an open data API, which ended up causing a lot of issues over the last few years. Um, Google rolling out lots of interesting APIs to their technologies. It was really the, the API wave that I think created some of the more interesting digital-led creative work. And then the last phase of, of digital creativity, I think it's been been a bit too heavy on video. I, I think that that's a bit of a, it's almost disappointing to see where the channel, I won't say ended, but where the channel sort of um, crested for a while, which was really just video, linear video, and not, not taking into account the interactive elements of the, of the space, but we seem to be getting some of that back again. So for me, the golden age was probably 2008, 2012, when it was this API infused creativity and it just opened up the door to, to have integrated teams do the best work that was being done because the magic was in the, um, the blurring of the lines. Um, and of course, key to what we do now as well, this, and it, it becomes a bit more, it's a bit more the, what businesses look at, right? They're, they're looking to de-silo. doesn't really make sense to have 
a team think about data, a team think about the creative and customer experience and those teams operating in silos because you take away the opportunity. So clients now come to us for that type of consolidation. But for me, it was it was it came from the the creative opportunities that it opened up, uh, which was just so exciting to play around with. It's a great, great answer. You referenced some favorite client work. Take this any way you want to go, first decade or second decade. But when you lay awake, lay awake at night and you think about some of the campaigns for some of the things, and I presume you're thinking about other things late at night, we'll, we'll leave that for another <laughs> podcast. This is a family show. Uh, but what work, what particular pieces of work that you did do you really look back on and remember most fondly? So, so, and we've now started our third decade, which is truly a bit scary to say out loud. Uh, first decade, and all of this work is lost. Uh, we did a, a, we did probably a year or two, three of uh, of microsites to promote Nintendo games, and those things were amazing. Uh, and I coded quite a few of them, so they're also sort of close to my my heart because I had to make them with my very limited coding skills. And I, I just have so many moments where I, the happiness of figuring something out, because what we did was really, I think, a, a life skill, compartmentalize. Uh, we would think about what to make without, realize, without thinking about if we could make it. We were just, what would be amazing and cool to do? And then we'd go, okay, let's go do that. And then you sort of had to turn to the other side of the brain and go, now we have to go make it and go, I have no idea how we make this. But we were good in compartmentalizing the, the what would be cool versus what can we do. So those projects, I just have lots of sort of memory of the aha moments of going, oh, we figured it out. Look at how cool that thing is. And it was just beautiful, fun, joyful work. So that's probably what, I'm, what I think about most and what I look back on most. The second decade, it's the API, the API creativity. I think Nightwalk in Marseille, project we did together with Google and 17 Sunny is one of my favorites. It was using Google's mix of street view and maps and, and sort of location data to create a, a virtual tour of Marseille, which now sort of has been done. But when we launched it, it was very much the, the first version of that. And I can remember because it came together really, this is like all of these things, they get done in very short time frame. So it came together about a day and a half for launch was the first time I could do a full run through. And I can remember sitting there going, oh, this is this works. Like there was something intangible to the experience that just elevated it. And you saw that after in the numbers and it, it actually, I think became a foundational piece of work where lots of versions of it got done, but that was the first one. And it was literally, there was an intangible thing to it, which is sort of digital storytelling narrative, but also just, there was intangible, is intangible because it's difficult to describe, but there was a feeling to it that I, I just think was, was iconic. And there was another piece of work, um, which was the breakout campaign, which was for Desperado's beer brand. It was funny, it was, it was called the breakout campaign. And I think it was our international breakthrough uh, because it, it became the biggest piece of work we'd ever done. First time we got shortlisting can, and it was um, was a piece of work that was based on taking over a YouTube channel in the sort of 
being able to play around with it and mess with it. And it was just, it was a perfect execution. The idea was quite straightforward, but it was executed with so much polish and perfection and detail and just love for the craft that I, it was unstoppable. It became a massive viral hit because it was just, you could feel how much attention to detail was in the actual execution of it. And I think it's difficult to measure, but people feel that people feel craft. And I, th- I, I think you can feel if, if something is made. So it's like a chef, like if somebody makes a meal with a, a huge amount of love and passion for it, it sort of translates to the eating experience. I think that that's the best example of that. So those, those are sort of foundational pieces. And then we're only uh, a year in or so, uh, to decade three. Uh, I love the virtual event work that's happening now, which I know you're, you're, you're looking at a, a lot of what that is and how that works. Um, what I like is that it's reframing some of digital back to some of its original intent, tactile, experiential, bringing people together, having people have conversations. So I, I like how it's, how it's using, using all of the pieces and putting it together in ways that are just, it's pretty cool to see people just hang out in a digital environment for like six hours and enjoy it. Like that's really how we've thought about digital for a long time. So. I, I like I love some of the work that we've done there this year and, and last year. Yeah, I saw a great piece of work with the NBA that you were doing there. Yeah, we're uh, streaming the NBA in VR. The last we're actually doing the last game on Friday, and we're going to hang out there with the whole group and sort of celebrate that it's the last game. But yeah, it's those types of technologies. Like this, this is the moment that they're that they're adding a lot of sort of human value because you get to hang out. Um, so it, it's nice to, to see how digital sort of has played a really good role during what was such a weird and strange time. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you referenced a year, 2018, and things change. Yeah. Give us the origin story. This will be our second origin story of the episode your first conversation with Sir Martin. So we, we, had, um, we had had a company reach out at the end of 2017 and they were interested in buying MediaMonks. And we, we'd never sold to uh, networks. We had had interests that it never quite felt like we, we wanted. It never felt like it was going to work, to be honest. And part of that was, I think, perception because we, we had friends and, and people you know from the industry that nobody really liked it. Nobody survived uh, more than a few years. But this was a consultative company. We were like, okay, we'd read all of the articles everybody had read in 2017, which is the consultancies are coming and are going to win. Uh, I think somebody made up the term Cajuncy consultancy agency which is a horrible horrible term but we at least wanted to understand what was happening because if somebody was going to win we would we wanted to at least be part of, of what was happening in that space so that's kind of a process and then you do a process you always talk to more people so we ended up talking to um, a few networks a few consultancies a few pe firms and uh, it was fine um, nothing sort of out of the ordinary, but quirk of timing. So Martin gets pushed out of WP 
one of the PE firms had asked him if he wanted to advise on a deal with MediaMax, um, which meant he knew we were in market, reached out and wanted to have a chat if we would be interested in starting something new. We actually uh, flew to New York uh, to, to meet him in his apartment. And I'm not sure if I've ever told him this, but in my mind, that was more, it was for the anecdote because I was like this, I don't expect this to, to go anywhere, but how amazing, what an amazing story to tell. And then we, we, we really got to brass tacks really quickly as you would expect. Um, and just had the exact same view on what we wanted to build. And we had uh, a roadmap for what we wanted to build with MediaMonks. And we asked them, what do you want to build? And it was literally, a, uh, it was a carbon copy. And then it's back to what I said earlier. It's what decision can we make at this pivotal moment? That's going to be the most exciting that we can do. So five years from now, 10 years from now, if you look back, what's going to be the most interesting run that you can do based on what we need to decide now. And if you look at it through that lens, it's, it's a no brainer. You get to work with Sir Martin, um, which I call this having dropped out after about a year and a half of my, my comms studies, I call this my MBA, which stands for, stands for Martin's business advice. Um, so just working closely with Sir Martin was a huge draw. Being able to build something um, new was a huge draw because there, there's so much ingrained complexities in what, what is currently in market that being able to go at it with something uh, with a bit of size, but enough sort of flexibility to do new things was a huge role. Still being an entrepreneur, still running things was a huge role. So those things together just became a no-brainer. Um, and looking back on it now, it's easy to go. That, that was logical at the time. It was, it, was, it, was, it was an interesting conversation because you're really stepping into something completely in the dark. And there wasn't anything, anything really to look at. Um, but super happy because I, I don't think I've been I don't think I've been more energized or excited about what we're doing um, in a very long time. There's such scale to what we can do now and such potential impact to what we can do, both in the work, in the way of working, in what the industry sort of does. Uh, it's 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 pretty amazing to to be given that opportunity. And you also got to keep the entrepreneurial aspects of what you do intact and your culture media monks is one of the places in our industry that has built a very special culture and i think had you gone with an accenture or a deloitte or have to endure the pressure of a private equity firm you know pointing uh, semi-automatic weapons at your privates you know to deliver those quarterly results uh, i don't know that you could have kept that same culture and that same entrepreneurial spirit no and that, that, that's part of it. I think th there's actually a moment in the Medium history that, that for me was also this sort of clicking between um, the work and the business. And I, I think in, in a lot of places in our industry, those things are almost combative, right? There's one part of the business is pushing for the work. And then there's another part that says, hey, but margins, hours, budgets, and too many companies are sort of, those things are um, too, 
adversarial. And we had a uh, we had a moment, and this was a uh, was quite an interesting because I can still remember even the metaphor we used, which was, "Hey, we're running this business, and we think we do really great work." And looking back at it, it was probably good, not great, but this is probably about seven, eight years in. We're like, "Hey, we're we're good at this thing, but it isn't necessarily a great business." And the question we asked ourselves is, "Do we believe this thing that we think we're great in?" is valuable should it have value and the answer is we think it does okay then we need to prove it to ourselves we can't hide behind we can't hide behind the quality of the work being the reason it's not a valuable business because if the quality of the work is important and the work we do has value you should be able to translate that into business value so there was this sort of sinking moment where we went wait a minute we're good at something that we think is important in our industry so let's scale it let's make it a big business and that's where that second decade comes from really that sort of putting yourself on the hook to not hide behind that sort of balancing act and just go we do great work the work we do is important in the context of our industry so we should be able to grow this business into something much more foundational yeah and you've accomplished that because the power of the creative work that you're doing across the globe is you know, as good as it gets in our industry. Uh, and you're building one hell of a business. Big acquisitions, not a day goes by when you don't read or hear something about S4, looking at something, buying something. I think there was a deal recently in Brazil that was a big one for you. Um, what's it like being on that business growth rocket ship with incredible global ambition. It's, it's, um, it's the most exciting part of what we do because it also is a way to, to sort of mind build and combine efforts with other founders and entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial talent. And that, that's sort of, that's I think almost been the, uh, the, the difficulty if you look at the industry broadly, you have all these amazing, very disruptive companies and they, they, they do well and they grow and they innovate and they scale. And then there's a moment where they either sell to a network and a lot of that innovation and entrepreneurial energy goes away, or they sort of they sort of plateau and it stays the same for a long time. So the vision behind S4 really is can you bring those teams together but keep the entrepreneurial energy really high and keep building. So what I've seen happen over the last few years is really, I think the S4 and the S4 story becoming the most exciting place for entrepreneurial talent in our industry to join. And there's nothing more exciting than that. The idea that I, I can talk to entrepreneurs across the globe, but we're one team, we're not competing. We're, we actually we had Jan Free, which is an amazing team, such a fan of Jan Free, join earlier this year. We've been in competitive spaces for a decade. Putting us in collaborative spaces is, is mind blowing does amazing things for our clients as well. So it's, it's us finding those teams to collaborate with, but then also just taking out all of the complexities of the acquisition model, right? We call it mergers, which sounds like we're playing semantics, but it, it means no earnouts. It means no attribution fights. It means no P&L battles. Just ambitious entrepreneurial talent with great high quality, high craft teams trying to 
win a decade, which is, this is the, you have to make it up and then go make it happen. That's really what we're trying to do. If you look back at this period of time, 10 years from now, what was the defining company in our industry? We want to be that thing, which it sounds a bit uh, grand, but we have a pretty unique opportunity. I think it's 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 sort of a quirk of so many things coming together at specific times that you also have to be true to the opportunity, because otherwise, it's yeah. There's so many so few teams and so few people that get the opportunity to, to do something at this scale that you want uh, you want to deliver on that opportunity. Uh, otherwise, uh, it feels like a bit of a letdown. I think it, that's a really good bet that I will take on where your third decade is going to take you. And I, I'll bet you accomplish that vision. Uh, and that's a lofty goal. But I think, you know, I think you're going to get there. I, I really do. And, uh, you know, this is not a gratuitous comment at all, but it's just a firm belief in watching what you're doing. You know, I love, you know, Sir, Bart Sir Martin is so interesting. We he used the word conquer the other day. We were talking about something and he said, conquer Asia, conquer different parts of the world. And he is that kind of guy. And with that business vision and passion and commitment and drive and energy and the caliber of the companies that have been assembled, led by Media Monks under S4, I wouldn't bet against you guys on accomplishing anything you set your minds to do. Well, and that... <laughs> Going back to, to Sir Martin, one, that's one of the reasons we also wanted to work together. I can remember this was uh, in, the, in, the, in the very last rows of the deal. You spend a lot of time in, in, in uh, lawyer offices. And I can remember going back home at like three in the morning and telling my wife, I just got completely outworked by a 70, I think 73 year old. I was like, he completely outworked. <laughs> I work me and just to see somebody with that ambition and sort of uh, aspiration was just yeah that would, you want you want to be a part of that energy um, so yeah it's uh, it was it was one of the defining reasons for us to to follow this story uh, let's go with this narrative and to see it play out as it's playing out yeah we, we could not have um, it's it's not that dissimilar to people sometimes expecting us to have this, uh, this thunderbolt insight 20 years ago. It also wasn't there three years ago. It need, you see to sort of need to grow into it, feel where the opportunity sits. And then I always go, it's, 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 it's sort of, you look at something, you have to pivot it a bit because if you just do the same thing, why are you interesting? So you pivot and position, pivot and position. And that's just, that's what this company does really well because we have so many people that have done that in their own businesses. And now we get to figure that out as a group. Um, it's, it's really, I can't, well, this is the thing. I'm still non-vaccinated and stuck in the old world. I can't wait to hang out <laughs> with a lot of my new colleagues. Um, yeah. it, it's going to be a fun, uh, fun year uh, based on some of the, 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 the dinners and drinks, I suspect. Yeah, no, fantastic. So you talked about the opportunity we'll use the word opportunity here, um, that the past year or so has given you to reconnect to your home country and the, the magnificent city of Amsterdam. The flip side of that coin is it's taken you off the road. You're a guy who's used to traveling. What place in the world are you most looking forward to getting back to? Uh, 
probably Mexico City. Um, I, I, I spent before sort of coming back to Amsterdam, uh, spent about two years in Mexico City. And I, I, I just love, I just love it. I think it's such an amazing place. Um, so uh, Mexico City is, is uh, hopefully on the cards uh, later this year and uh, we're planning on, uh, on uh, moving back. And then LA, because I, I just spent three years living in LA. I have so many friends there um, and all, also so many amazing colleagues. Uh, we used to have our Korean, Korean uh, barbecue nights out with the group. I can remember that with 30 people. I think it's 300 people now. So we'll see, <laughs> we'll see how that works out. But just that those two places, mostly because of the personal connections there. Fantastic. Uh, I was on the road, you were, you were always on the road as well. So I was on the road a lot, but a lot of it is very uh, transitional, right? You spend a day here, you spend two days there. But those are places that, uh, born and raised in Amsterdam, but definitely um, uh, see LA and Mexico City as home. So great. Hopefully back soon. Fantastic. Well, this was an absolute joy uh, to talk to you and to hear your story. It's a, it's a wonderful story and you should be super proud of everything you have accomplished, but I know you, and I know you're not thinking about what's already been done. You're thinking about what's to be done. You have to keep, you have to keep moving. Um, there was a moment of melancholy when we hit 20 years, but that was one day and then uh, you keep it moving. Thank you for doing this. And, and I, ho I hope it wasn't too painful for you. No, I, I always enjoy talking. I can't wait to, to hang out somewhere now.